Hebrews chapter 8, beginning at verse 7. I'll read to the end of the chapter. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least unto the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Last week we looked at the, kind of did an overview looking at the old covenant as opposed to the new. And just as a way of reminder, the new covenant is different than the old covenant. It's not like the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was conditional. The New Covenant is unconditional. The Old Covenant, of course, when we speak of the Old Covenant, remember we're speaking of the Mosaic Law, the Covenant of Law, the Sinaitic Covenant. The Old Covenant was faulty in that it did not render the people perfect before God. It could not change their hearts. The new covenant replaces the old covenant. It doesn't replace any of the other covenants in the Old Testament. There are many other covenants, but the particular covenant which it replaces is that Mosaic covenant. Interestingly to note, and I want this is kind of a side note, but I want to remind you that the law, the law as the commandments that God gave his people, the moral code of living has not been done away with, but actually in the new covenant, it is fulfilled in Christ. And you need to remember that because the law required righteousness. Under the old covenant, men could not live up to that standard, but under the new covenant, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He has fulfilled the moral code. And of course, even today, you look at the Ten Commandments, and really, the, we're not to take the name of the Lord in vain. You look at those commandments dealing with us in our relationship Godward and also the second half relating to our relationships manward. You know, you're not to lie, to kill, to steal, uh, to commit adultery, not to covet. And those are, absolutely are still in force. But that whole Levitical arrangement under the Mosaic Covenant has been done away. The new covenant, of course, is unconditional. It's primarily a spiritual covenant. We'll look at that in more depth today. And it is a future covenant for the nation of Israel. 
Now, when I say a future covenant, it does not mean it's not active today. Obviously, there are Jews who are coming to Christ. But as a whole people, they have not entered into that covenant yet. But it is a covenant that is currently enjoyed by the Gentiles. Though it was a covenant made with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel, the Gentiles are being blessed by this covenant at this time. And it, of course, is a covenant based upon God's choice, God's sovereign election. Now, I'd like to continue today in this passage, and I want to look at these uh, stipulations or these act, actually the obligations that God has stated what he, that He will do, that He will accomplish in this covenant. Now, if someone were to ask you for a concise definition of the new covenant, how would you define it? How would you define the new covenant? Say, well, somebody says, what is the New Testament or what is the new covenant? How would you define it? Well, of all passages in Scripture, this passage here gives us the most concise definition of the new covenant. Up, out, go. Stand in the back till you wake up. This passage here gives us the most concise definition of the New Covenant. And here it is. He says, I will, verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will do what? I will put my laws into their mind. I will write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God. They shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest, and I will forgive their sins. Those are the obligations or the commitments of the new covenant. There it is, concise form, just those verses. And this is the covenant which God is going to make with the nation of Israel. And this covenant is their salvation. And it's currently the salvation of every Jew and Gentile who turn to Christ by faith. Everyone who turns to Christ by faith, this is the salvation of them. If you are a believer then this here is the New Testament or the New Covenant in Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to talk about the application of this covenant. We look at this covenant, and as we look at all the features of it, we notice that it is primarily, it, it deals really with our personal relationship to the Lord. It deals with how man relates to the Lord. It speaks to our relationship to God's law and to His commandments. I will put my law, I will put my law into their minds. I will write them in their hearts. It speaks to our relationship to him as his people. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And then it speaks to our knowledge of him. All shall know me from the least to the greatest. And then it speaks to his forgiveness of our sins. And so as we look at these different features of this covenant, all of them really deal with our personal relationship to the Lord. And so what does the new covenant do? The new covenant prepares us to meet God. The new covenant actually prepares us to meet the Lord. Every one of us, one day, 
some earlier than others, but every one of us one day is going to stand before the Lord. Those who by faith have entered into this covenantal relationship with God will be admitted into His presence. And those who have not will not be admitted into the presence of God. So the new covenant prepares us to face God, and then the new covenant really, as we note, is concerned with the internal aspect of man, with the internal aspect of man. Do you note that this new covenant does not say, you do this and you don't do that. You shall do this. You shall not do that. When you look at the old Mosaic covenant, What's it full of? It's full of conditions and prohibitions. You are to do this. You are not to do this um, over and over. And of course, it was an agreement. And God says, if you will keep my laws, and if you will keep my commandments, then I will do these things. But not this covenant. This covenant, God says, I am going to do each of these things. So whereas the old covenant comes and says, do this, And God will do this. The new covenant just comes in and God promises, I will, and I will, and I will. This covenant deals with the heart of man. It deals with his mind, his will, and his emotions as they relate to God. So here we're going to be looking at the application of this covenant I want us to note the promises, though, the promises of this covenant, and they are the obligations to which God has bound Himself. And of course, this is an unconditional covenant. All of these obligations are on God. They are all God's promises. And that's a good thing. Whenever man is given an obligation, what happens? Man fails. Man cannot keep his end of the bargain. We see that throughout the Old Testament. God gives a command, and what happens? Man falls short. What does Paul say in the book of Romans? All have sinned, and what? Come short, and continually come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 and so these, these provisions and these promises that God makes and that he, <clears throat> he makes obligations of Himself to us, these are the provisions of the New Covenant. And remember, the New Covenant is all about God and what He is going to do for His people. These promises are only true of those with whom God makes the covenant. They're not true of anyone else. In other words, these promises, and I want you to carefully listen to this, these promises provide a litmus test as to whether or not you belong to God. You understand that? I want you to think. I want you to, there's a couple of logical steps here. I want you to make sure we're on the same page here. God says of those that come into the new covenant with him that he will do certain things. 
not conditioned upon our performance, but based upon His covenant, I will do this for you, I will do this for you, and I will do this for you. I will, I will, I will. Now, if those things are not true of you, what does that mean? That means that you are not in this new covenant with God. Or I might put it bluntly, you are not a Christian. If these things are not true of you, then you are not part of the new covenant. Now, you say, well, what do I have to do to get into this new covenant? What, what do I have to do? Listen, it's not what you do. It's what God has done for you, and we receive it by faith. It's salvation. Now, again, these promises provide a litmus test as to whether or not I belong to God. They're not conditioned upon human performance or human behavior. And therefore, the evidence of these promises exists only in those whom God has redeemed. So, I want you to ask yourself, every one of us, we have to ask ourselves, do I have the evidence of these promises in my life? Are they there? Because God said He is going to do these things. And so, if they're not there, it's not because God has failed in His promise, but it will be because I'm not in the covenantal relationship with God. Maybe I am not a Christian. So let's look at these things. I want us to look specifically at the first promise today. What does he say in verse 10? He says, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. And here it is. What is the first promise? I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Here's the first specific promise. God's law in our inward parts or God's law in our hearts and minds. This is where the new covenant begins. And I think the order of these is important. You look at the order. Where does it start? It starts with God putting His law into our hearts and our minds. Where does it end? With forgiveness. Who doesn't want forgiveness? We all want forgiveness. But what's our reaction to this first obligation? What is, what is our reaction to God's first commitment? And your reaction to this promise is very revealing. What is your attitude towards God's law? What is your attitude toward God's authority? Do we love God's law? What is your attitude towards God's law? You know, David... David said this in Psalm 119, 97. Psalm 119, verse 97. David said, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. 
Folks, this is where the evidence of the new covenant begins. What is your attitude towards this promise? When you think of the law, God's law, what do you think? The fact is that there is something in every one of us that doesn't like to be told what to do. There is something in every sinful heart that wants to rebel against authority. That is natural. That is natural ever since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, ever since they rebelled against God's authority, all men have this problem. A defiance against God's law. The thing is, God's law should be attractive to us. Is God's law attractive to you? God's law is a benefit, is always a benefit to people. And you think about this. Think about God's law in a general sense. We'll just think about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, they benefit every society in which they are applied. They commend themselves to us. You know, think about it. Think of the second half of the Ten Commandments. In almost every society on earth, it's illegal to kill. It's against law to do what? To steal. To lie. Commit adultery. Covet. Okay? And so God's law is beneficial to us, to every one of us. It's a benefit on a societal level. But it's also a benefit on an individual level concerning our relationship with God. You think of the first Ten Commandments. What are they? Well, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images, not to bow down to idols and worship them. You're not to take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. He says, remember the Sabbath, and then that transitional one, honor your parents. God's laws benefit every person. They benefit those who obey them. Now, are God's laws as attractive to us as His promises? A lot of times we read the Bible and people say, oh, look at these wonderful promises. I want to claim every promise in the Bible. Isn't it wonderful? Look at God's wonderful promises of protection, God's promises of this, God's promise of that. And how do we read the Bible? We look for those things which we like to hear. We look for those things which are encouraging to us. But folks, we have to remember, though, that God's laws are the revelation of His character. God's laws reveal to us His character just as much as His promises reveal His character. We think about God being a protection for us and our fortress, and we think of His power and His love for us and His care, and those are all true, and they reveal His character. But what about His commandments? What about His law? His law reveals the holiness of His character, and it ought to commend itself to us. What is your reaction to God's law being put in your heart and in your minds? What is the purpose of God's law in our hearts? Why did God say, I will put my laws into their hearts? Why did God say, I'll put them into their minds? 
Isn't on a plaque on the wall good enough? Read the rules. Well, again, our flesh tends to recoil against the law. What does Romans 8 and verse 7 tell us? Romans 8 verse 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind is opposed to the law of God. This is the mind of the unbeliever. It's opposed to the law of God. Doesn't want to be told what to do. Resists, rebels. We don't want to be told what to do, even if it is God's command. The carnal mind is an enemy of God. It's at enmity, opposed to God. And folks, this is what the new covenant promises to fix. This is what the gospel comes to fix. This is what went wrong back in the Garden of Eden. What happened to the Garden of Eden? God said, you may eat of all the trees, but there is one you're not to eat of. That's all. Don't eat of that tree. And the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was it. Well, we know what happened. What happened? Eve became convinced. She became convinced through deception. The serpent beguiled her, deceived her. But what did Eve become convinced of? She became convinced that God's prohibition was bad for her. She became convinced that God's law was not good. She said, wait a minute. And the devil said, what did the devil say? Eve, God's holding out on you. You know, if you will eat of that tree, you'll become like God. You'll know good and evil like God does. You know, God just doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to have the upper hand. And you, he wants to just keep you under. Eve says, oh, you must be right. That law is not a good law, and her attitude toward the law was changed, and what did she do? She disobeyed. And what did Adam do? He followed right along, right along in rebellion. What happened in the Garden of Eden? The gospel has come to rectify. The new covenant says, I will, God says, I will put my laws into your minds and I will write them in your hearts. Listen, if the new covenant doesn't fix the problem of man's heart attitude toward the law and man's heart attitude of rebellion against the law, then it will be a faulty covenant just like the old covenant. I want you to think about that. If the new covenant does not fix the problem of a man's heart attitude of rebellion against God's law, then the new covenant will be faultly just like the old. What could the old covenant not do? It could not cleanse the conscience. It could not purge man. It could not render him perfect in the sight of God. 
Man's heart must be changed towards God's law and towards his authority. Consider that statement. Write it down. Man's heart must be changed towards God's law and towards God's authority. You ever talk with someone who's you're talking about the Bible and they say, oh, well, yeah, I, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. And, but then somebody goes, oh, yeah I, yeah, I don't agree with that part. I like this part. I like what God says here, but I don't accept that. What are they saying? They're saying that their heart hasn't been changed towards God's authority. When a person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, guess what? There's no problem accepting what His Word says. You may not understand it all, and believe me, I don't, but I believe it. I believe it is true. I accept it as the Word of God, and I have no problem doing that because God has said so. And my heart submits to that authority. If someone is struggling believing the Word of God or accepting the truth of, you know, the virgin birth or of the resurrection or, you know, hear these biblical truths, well, I, I can't accept that. What are they saying? I, my heart, refuses to submit to the authority of God. Listen, God's dominion must be restored in the hearts of men before there can be forgiveness of sins. God's dominion must be restored in the hearts of men before there can be forgiveness of sin. Otherwise, what will we do? We'll just keep sinning. What happened in the Old Testament? We read in Hebrews chapter 10, Note Hebrews chapter 10, the first three verses. The law, having a shadow of good things to come, but not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then, for if it could have, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Then note verse 3, he says, But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Here's a reminder. Here's a reminder. The new covenant must fix man's relationship to God's law and his authority. Otherwise, there can be no forgiveness. Now, let me digress here for just a moment. When a person comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, what are they doing? They are submitting themselves to his authority. And they are calling upon Him in obedience. What did Jesus say? Call upon me. He says, I will save those who call on me. All who come to Him, He receives, He will not cast any out. But if we don't come, if we don't call on Him, if we do not come to Him for salvation, what are we doing? We're rebelling against His authority. 
The old covenant did not change this aspect of man's nature. I mean, his resistance to being governed by authority, especially God's. Now, the Old Testament did call for this change. It was desired. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29. Deuteronomy 5 verse 29. says this. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Okay? God says, this is what I... This is, it, would be, it would be wonderful if they did this. If they would obey my commandments they would receive all of my blessings. And remember, that old covenant was conditional. God says, if you do this, I will do this. But remember, that old covenant was not designed. It could not change the heart. David. David recognized that God desired truth in the inward part. He says that in Psalm 51, verse 6. He says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part shalt thou make me to know wisdom. That internal aspect. And remember when Jesus came, and there he is at the Sermon on the Mount, and he's telling the people, You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt what? Not commit murder. And the Pharisee says, Check, we're good. Not any of us have stabbed our neighbor with a knife or actually taken a life. We can check off that commandment. And Jesus said, not so fast. If you hate your brother without a cause, you're a murderer. You're a thought murderer. You're a murderer in the heart. Heart? Jesus says, you've heard by them that by, by them of old time, it's been said, thou shalt commit no adultery. And the Pharisee says, ah, check. I am righteous. I still have the same wife that I married 40 years ago. Jesus said, but if you've looked on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery in your heart. You're guilty. And across the board, across the board, what does Jesus reveal to us there in the Sermon on the Mount? The law. They did not understand the Old Testament law. They looked at it as just, well, it's externals. As long as I can check off the box, I didn't do X, Y, Z. God says, no, it's a heart thing. And the law couldn't change that heart. But here's the new covenant. And that's the glory of the new covenant is it's designed to fix man. It is designed to fix that fault that the over old covenant could not overcome, and it was not designed to overcome. What was the old covenant designed to do is to point us to Christ, the ultimate solution. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The internal change is the promise of the new covenant. I will put my laws into their mind, and in their hearts will I write them. Now, Let's consider the effect of this new covenant promise. 
the old covenant. It began with a call to obedience. It was conditional. If you will keep my law, then I will bless you in all these ways. That was the old covenant. But the new covenant comes with what? It comes with promises. God says, I will do this. I will do this, and I will do this. And what does the, what does the new covenant require of me? Well, it just says, accept it. The new covenant just says, receive, take it. When we receive the gospel, this is the change that we will see. This is that internal change of which Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is that? That's a new heart. What does God do? He changes our hearts with respect to His laws and His commandments. Listen, the new covenant promises and it delivers. And God works a change in our heart toward His law, towards His commandments. 1 John 5.14 And His commandments are what? His commandments are not grievous. Now, the effect of the new covenant. Our hearts and our minds are changed. What does this deal with? This deals with our feeling and our thinking. Our feeling, our thinking. These are, these, in, these are the internal air, areas in which we are alienated from God. What does Jeremiah 17, 9 say? Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, For the heart is deceitful above all things, and what? And desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So here, the new covenant, these internal areas in which we are alienated from God, Romans 8, 7, we already looked at that passage where it says the the carnal mind is enmity against God. And then Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Listen, the new covenant is God making a promise dealing how I think and how I feel about what I think, about His laws. By the way, this is why really the church must confront people with God. The job of the church, to confront people with God not here to make people feel good about themselves, not to promise some you know, health and wealth gospel and you know, some best life now and all this other you know, soft peddling of the gospel, which is really just deceit. Every prophet, every apostle, 
Jesus, every teacher of righteousness, has faced the enmity of the hostile human heart. Every parent faces that too. The hostile enmity of the sinful human heart. And the heart must change toward God, and that is the promise of the new covenant. God says, I will do this. I will put my laws into their hearts and write. I'll put them in their minds, write them on their hearts. Those words, put and write, they're the work of God. God is the one doing the putting. God is the one doing the writing. And he does this on our hearts and minds. In the Old Testament, the law was inscribed where? It was inscribed on two tablets of stone. But here, when God puts his law in us, it's a new creation, and the heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. Big difference between stone and flesh. Stone, you can push on, you can try to squeeze, and it doesn't move. It's not responsive. And you hit it hard, and what does it do? It breaks. But flesh, flesh is pliable. Flesh, you can, you, you can put pressure on flesh, and it moves. It responds to pressure. And God does this. Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 11. Ezekiel 11 and verse 19. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them an heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And listen, this promise is in the Old Testament over and over. Ezekiel speaks of it. Jeremiah speaks of it. The prophets here prophesying, this is coming. In Ezekiel chapter 36, later on in that book, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh." And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. Wow. God says, I am going to do this. And it's God's work. Only God can do this. Only God can do this. You cannot change yourself. If you don't believe me, read the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 13. What did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah 13, verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots? It's a rhetorical question. He says, then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Note that verse. He says, can the Ethiopian do this? Can the leopard do that? And of course, the answer is, well, no. Well, he says, well, if they could, then you could also do good that are accustomed to do evil. But the comparison is no. Since they can't, you can't do this either. The Ethiopian 
cannot change his skin, the leopard cannot change his spots, so no man can do good whose nature is to do evil. But the new creation, the new creature in Christ Jesus, God puts His laws into our hearts. He changes our attitude towards His authority. Listen, you don't need all the forms of religion. You need a new heart. You know, many professing Christians who spent their lives growing up in the church, growing up in Christian homes, and having a knowledge of what the Word of God says, they become geniuses, experts at self-justification and rationalization of their rebellion against God. And why? Why do they do that? Because God has not put His laws into their minds, and into their hearts. And so what are they doing? They're rationalizing their behavior. They're trying to justify their behavior and their rebellion. They have a form of religion, and it's a form. And it might look good, but it's powerless. A form of godliness, but their hearts are far from God, is Mark, Jesus in Mark chapter 7 and verse 6. He was quoting, of course, from the Old Testament. Mark 7 and verse 6. I'll read that passage for you. Jesus said this, He answered and saith unto them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Hey, they knew the right words to say. They'd been around it all their lives. They knew what the Word of God said, and so they could quote it. They could say it. But their hearts far away. And what does that produce? That produces great hypocrites, those who have a form of religion, but really there's no power. It's not there. The more a church is molded by the culture, the more man-centered it becomes. And what does religion become? It becomes or it becomes guided by man's desires and how he wants to relate to God. It has nothing to do with what God has said, but how he wants to feel about God, and so he's going to create his own structure rather than submitting to what God has said. And the only answer, the only answer to that is the new covenant, which starts with, I will put my laws into their minds. And when that happens... Listen, our churches will be right. When that happens, our families will be right. Our children will be obedient. They'll have right relationships. When our hearts are submitted to God's law and His commandments. When our hearts are in subjection to His authority. And of course, then we'll be joyful. And you'll know when this takes place. You should know. Naturally, we don't want to do what God says. We naturally want to do the forbidden. And what happens? Well, there's kids that'll grow up in church. People call themselves Christians, yet 
when it comes down to it, what do they do? They look for people who can explain to them how they can still be a Christian and do the forbidden things. How can I still be a Christian but do what I want to do? I want to call myself a Christian, but I still want to live the way I want to live. But you know, try to hang on. Uh, I'm double-minded. I want to hang on to these promises of God. Yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I, I want to live the way I want to live. But when God gives us a new heart, that changes. Some people may move to the place where, yeah, I want to do these things. I still want to live this way, but I want to make sure I can be forgiven. I'm going to do what I want to do, but as long as you can guarantee that I can be forgiven of those sins, God is my fire escape. Of course, the law and God's judgments come to bear. And there's the attitude that says, you know, I, I want to stop because the consequences aren't worth it. It hurts too much to go that way. You know what? Still not there. What needs to happen? I need to come to that place where I do not want to do those things because there is something in me that has changed a new heart. Listen, when we're truly born again, now His commandments are not grievous. I gave you a wrong reference. I said 1 John 5, 14. It's 1 John 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. God's commandments are not burdensome. Think about that. Is that your attitude towards God's authority? Oh, it's not burdensome, it's freeing. He frees me from enslavement to sin. Let me tell you what's burdensome, and that's feeding the flesh. Let me tell you what's burdensome, and that's being a slave to sin. Sin is a horrible master. It promises you a lot and never delivers. It leaves you with shame, guilt, disgrace. God's commandments, they're not grievous. They're not burdensome. What did Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He goes, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And anyone who disagrees is one who has never put it on. Now, these are God's commitments. This is the new covenant. God says, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. This is the glory, one of the great glories of this new covenant. It fixes that which the old covenant could not do. That old covenant was faulty. Dealing with people whose hearts had not changed. People whose hearts were at enmity with God. But the new covenant, God changes the heart. Any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. This is God's doing. It's not, I can't change my heart. I can't change anyone else's heart. Only God can do that, but he promises to do that. That is one of the obligations that God has committed himself to do in the new covenant. What's your relationship to God's law? 
you to answer that question. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And truly, this is a sobering, a sobering thought. And Lord, each one of us has to answer that question for ourselves. Lord, we thank you so much for the provisions of this new covenant, which we enjoy today in Christ. For those who are the children of God, those who have received Christ as Savior, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, that we would examine ourselves. What is our relationship to you and to your authority? Lord, this is something that the new covenant was designed to fix. Lord, we know the flesh will always rise against any authority. And Lord, as believers, we are not immune to the flesh. We still have that sinful flesh, but we do have the victory in Christ. And Lord, we have the power to live in victory or victorious Christian living because of your Holy Spirit who indwells us, who encourages us, and Lord, who brings your word to mind. Lord, if there are those under the sound of my voice today who want examination of themselves, realize that they are not born again. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts today to bring them to a point where they call upon your name. Lord, I pray that if there are those here who are Christians, yet who struggle with the flesh, Lord, may they repent. May they ask forgiveness. Lord, may they be obedient. May they be joyfully obedient to the Holy Spirit. Lord, again, you've told us your commandments. Your law is not burdensome. It's not grievous. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the new covenant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.